On behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to the June 2015 podcast. I'm Kyle Hogarth from the University of Chicago, editor of the podcast section. Thank you for joining us today for another terrific conversation, and this time a podcast first. There's no accompanying article to this podcast, but instead we wanted to highlight the expanding resources for one particular area that the ACCP and Chess have to offer, both for our members and for our listeners. My first guest today is Dr. Seth Koning, Associate Professor of North Shore Long Island Jewish Medical Center in the section of Pulmonary and Critical Care medicine. He's also certified in echocardiography. He runs the ultrasound corner for CHEST and is the co-director of the ACCP's ultrasound courses. Seth, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. My other guest is Dr. Haney Malamut. Dr. Malamut's an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, but is also board certified in internal medicine and critical care medicine, as well as echo. He's also the co-director of the ACCP's echo courses. Haney, thanks for joining us as well. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, love this podcast. Glad to be on. Oh, thank you. So, so guys, let's let's just start from the very beginning. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll launch into the the importance of this of this field in, in a minute here. But how about just highlighting and showcasing some of the things um, that are available uh, within the ACCP and within CHEST uh, that you know maybe members aren't aware of and, and, and without a doubt are, are valuable resources given the growth uh, in use of ultrasound within our specialties. Well, I think I can, Haney, if you don't mind, um, you know, I've been there since the beginning. And, you know, going back about nine or ten years ago, we realized that there was a huge need for education in this field because um, as opposed to other other areas in pulmonary and critical care medicine, not a lot of people were performing point-of-care ultrasound in the ICUs. And so because of that, the ACCP and CHEST started uh, the original courses, which were fundamentals in critical care ultrasonography. And over the past eight, nine, ten years, I think we are up to well over uh, training about 4,000 intensivists in all different areas of the country and, and also uh, the world. And since that time, those courses have broadened into fundamentals of critical care, but then we realized that once people started developing the basics, they, they were itching for a little bit more. And so now we have other programs, uh, including um, the ECHO two-day course, a plural and vascular two-day course, a advanced uh, critical care echo course, soon to probably be opened up will be a transesophageal echo course. And then on top of that, we have what's called the Certificate of Completion Program, which allows folks to take all of these courses. And at the end of their time with taking the courses, in addition to giving us a portfolio of images that they've taken and taking a cognitive exam, the ACCP is providing and CHEST is providing them with a certificate that says, hey, you've taken all this stuff. Um, now go out and, and, and see if you can start performing this on your own as long as the institution that they're at will, will recognize this, and what we're finding is that most of these institutions are recognizing this as enough to get started. I don't know if, Haney, you have anything to add to that in your experience. No, I, I trained, for, I learned about ultrasound through emergency medicine, which I think uh, had a little bit more of a uh, longer-standing uh, track record with emergency point-of-care ultrasound. Um, so I trained with ultrasound during my residency, and then when I got the fellowship, there was sort of nothing there, and critical care ultrasound was just starting to get off the ground. Um, and I looked around, I took whatever courses were available, but it wasn't until I linked up with CHESS that I, I re realized how formalized uh, the CHESS program was with the pathway for certification as you've identified, and just the variety of different courses you can take within it. So 
Um, luckily, I got to become part of the course, and uh, and now very very happy to be training. You know, uh, you know the the tons of people that come through every single year on their pathway to certification, and who keep in contact and tell me about all the programs that they're creating locally at their hospital. And you can just see that there's a revolution a revolution that's happening now in critical care, where more and more new trainees. And also people that have been out there for a while are using point-of-care ultrasound at the bedside for diagnosis as well as um, in, invasive uh, therapies and procedures that they're doing. Well, so let me ask you guys this. I mean, you know, it's it's it probably on one level it's obvious. I mean, it seems just in, inherently intuitive that if I can see better and, uh, you know, and quickly and, and right there you know, at the bedside, you know, it just makes sense. But but. What? So this is on one level a very easy question, but why is ultrasound so important? Um, you know, can you point to some of the, you know, kind of landmark papers, if there are any, that you know have sort of been the major shift, or is this, has this just been one of these cultural shifts that's occurring within our profession simply because ultrasound, you know, has become smaller, cheaper, you know, easier to get. Um, it's something that anyone, you know can learn relatively easily. Is that all that's really going on here? I mean, I, it's funny. I, I think about my own training and now think about my house staff, you know, as they walk around, it seems like everybody's got an ultrasound at any given moment. Um, you know, is this replacing the stethoscope? Well, um, what I think is interesting is exactly your last point, and I think it's very important for anybody who either is performing ultrasound or is interested in understanding why they should is that ultrasound, the way we use it, is different than the way radiology uses it or cardiology. And I think we need to keep that perspective in mind. Our goal when we see a patient in, who's critically ill in cardiopulmonary failure is to as quickly and as accurately make a diagnosis and then as quickly and with precision if a patient needs a therapeutic procedure and then being able to monitor that patient through the course, as we all know, things change very quickly in the ICU and pulmonary for that matter because we use this uh, all the time there as well. And if you think about it, the, what's interesting about the arguments that have gone back and forth, which well, maybe we could talk about why should, should critical care folks learn ultrasound, well, we know that patients who are in shock, okay, maybe they need an echocardiogram. But you have to order an echocardiogram, and then there's a compartmentalized approach to treatment. So then you order a echocardiogram. A technician, a fellow is usually who comes, mostly a technician, a cardiology technician, does the exam, which is read by a third party down someplace completely distant to the patient. So now you have clinical dissociation, and you have time dissociation, and you have cognitive dissociation. So when you have the ultrasound in your hands and you can simply learn how to characterize a shock state accurately, which we know the courses teach people to do, you don't need this third party. The other thing is, is that a person can have a completely normal left ventricular function and six hours later it can turn sour and south and develop a septic cardiomyopathy. And cardiologists aren't going to come back every six hours and, and look to see what's happening with your patient. So I think there's, a, there's, a, there's this time dissociation, clinical dissociation uh, involved that allows the clinician at point of care to characterize just about every problem that a patient in the ICU has. That's not to say 
that ultrasound gives you the answer, and one must always remember, and I try to, whatever we teach, we say that ultrasound is simply a modality to look into the patient. You need the clinical examination, the physical examination, and the story. However, you don't need necessarily then to take an unstable patient and transfer the patient to the CAT scanner. You don't have to radiate that patient 15 times to look for an empyema when ultrasound for the pleural space is better. So I think... People who are naysayers or who are late to come to it who say, well, why should I have to learn this? Um, I've been doing critical care for 20 or 30 years. Well, things change. And I think point-of-care ultrasound is definitely here to stay. And I think also fellows are, are really wanting to learn this technology. And I also think that uh, the ACGME over the next couple of years is going to mandate that not only do you need to know pleural disease, vascular disease, you're going to have to learn all of these diseases. And I think, you know, I'll let Haney give his side to this, but, um, we, you know, a couple of simple examples when we move forward can show people how and why it's so effective to understand this technology. Yeah, I mean, there's just too many examples to count where ultrasound right. has saved, you know, my patients and myself, honestly, from getting locked in a diagnosis. I think we're in an interesting uh, generational gap right now where we see medical students, residents, fellows, all learning how to become very facile with point-of-care ultrasound, um, and they're learning it straight from anatomy. Uh, there's many medical schools that are incorporating this in their first and second year curriculum to correlate um, bedside ultrasound with the physiology that they're learning about. So you're going to have medical students coming in the ICUs on their rotations um, showing you things that you may have never seen before if you're not learning ultrasound. So I agree with what Seth said. This is here to stay, so we have to uh, get up to speed if we're not familiar with ultrasound because it really is a better way of taking care of our patients. Um, it's, it's a way that you can not only rule in diseases uh, if, you're, you know, if you're managing the patient at the bedside, but it can also confirm what you're already doing, and sometimes I think that gets understated. You know, people who, like me, who are zealous about ultrasound tell, talk about all the things that you're going to miss if you're not using ultrasound. But sometimes it's just simply helpful when you're doing the things you think are right for your patients who are critically ill to confirm by using ultrasound to give you that feedback that you're going down the right diagnostic and therapeutic pathway. So the, the portability of the machines, they're getting smaller, they're going into our pockets, the resolution is getting great. Um, this is a technology that's not going away. So for, for people who are reluctant to pick up this technology, I continuously ask them just to keep their mind open about learning how to do this. And it's not a difficult thing um, if you take it for what it is, point-of-care ultrasound, just asking yes or no questions. We're not talking about becoming professional sonographers here and doing all the advanced techniques that the, the sonographers and the cardiologists or the radiologists do. We're just doing simple things to rule in and rule out diseases. And then we can layer that advanced care stuff on top of that as we proceed. I think that's an important point. This is not about teaching you how to do uh, the world's greatest uh, evaluation of the liver and the gallbladder, for example, and or, you know, every view that is one's needs for a full, complete echocardiography report. Um, and, and that and you're using it in the in a direct clinical context, which I think what Seth was highlighting in regards to the, the, the dissociation between, you know, being right there at the bedside and trying to answer a question quickly and effectively to put it then in together with your other pieces of data, you know, from your evaluation of your patient. Right. And I, and I think um, the, the amount of time that it takes to 
rule in or rule out a diagnosis once a, once the physical exam and the story is told is, is quite rapid. And that's been shown uh, in many, many, many different um, um, papers. You know, we test our fellows. It takes our fellows to about a, a 10 minutes or nine minutes to do a complete functional, goal-directed ultrasound of a patient who's in a shock state. And, I mean, it's an invaluable uh, thing for us and for yeah. the patient. I just, if, you, if you'll allow me, I'll just give you a case. And just from last shift that we had, um, this was a patient who was brought in who collapsed in front of their family, who was short of breath. They did CPR on the patient for two minutes, and then they brought the patient in, and the patient was very unstable. And, you know, what do you do with this person that comes in post-arrest and what's going on? The EKG is nonspecific. We put the ultrasound probe on, and we found that this person had RV strain. We found a big RV, and we looked down at the lower extremities, and we saw clot in the leg. This person got thrombolytics just based on our ultrasound evaluation and got normal intensive in time. I don't know how I would have managed this person had I not had ultrasound. I mean, I suppose I could have put a central line in this person, put them on pressures, maybe intubate them just to get them over to CT scan. But with, with that information that I had at the bedside, it empowered me. It gave me all the information I needed to do to give that person thrombolytics and potentially save that person's life. So I, I, and I, I have a, you know, a handful more examples that we could share, but that just kind of drives home the point of how ultrasound can really make a difference when you have nothing else at your disposal. I mean, I, I just want to, no pun intended, echo what you said. Um, that's that's like that's harmony. No, it's harmony to hear uh, what you're saying because, um, you know, I had a similar experience. Um, but just to bring up the point that there are folks out there who who still, you know, want to say, well, well, I, I would have figured it out eventually. And I think you, that is true. You do not need ultrasound to make an eventual diagnosis. Um, but sometimes it would right. be just sure you yeah. know. Right, right. You, but you hope the diagnosis is made pre-mortem, and you, you know, and and you know, you save this individual possibly radiation exposure, money, time, all the things that are essential when taking care of folks, you know, who are critically ill. The other thing that's interesting is um, I had an experience in an emergency room where a patient was in was in shock, 100% oxygen, only saturating 80%. Nobody knew what was wrong. The belly was distended, and I walk in. And one of the doctors there who is, who does know some ultrasound, hadn't put even the probe on the chest and the, and the, the ultrasound corner was, was in the corner. The, see, the ultrasound machine was in the corner and I'm looking and thinking, you know, nobody should leave baby in the corner, you know? <laughs> and so, so we, within three minutes, realized that the woman was in hemorrhagic shock and the belly was distended, not from overbagging because the patient was out in the field, but because the belly was full of blood. And while the lower extremity had a DVT in this patient because she ended up having cancer, the right ventricle was non-existent because they were in hemorrhagic shock. And so, you know, you, ha you have that area. Then um, I was in the operating room where a patient had an, had a, uh, an arrest, and, I, and I, you know, you can't make this up. A vascular surgeon came in, and I said, I did an echo on the patient, and the RV was big. So I said, let me look for a DVT. The vascular surgeon said, there's no way. You, how can you find a DVT? 
So right then and there, you can understand that this is a vascular surgeon, that, that the utility of looking for a DVT by a non-radiologist, of which we've published on, is just as accurate as a radiologist. Secondly, then, I went to look for a pneumothorax, and the, the vascular surgeon and the anesthesiologist said, how can you possibly look for a pneumothorax with ultrasound? And so you see, a lot of, the, of, of what we do is just not known. So it's not that if people actually understood what it is, which is why we have all of these courses and why we're constantly preaching that things can get done in such a quick manner. This code took three minutes because we figured out what was wrong, which it could have taken an hour or two and or post-mortem. So I think it's very so, important to keep in mind. Well, I think it's also, you know, it's interesting, like you said, like this sort of there's a – there's clearly a large learning gap here, not just in the actual act of doing it, but even thinking of it, like as you pointed Correct. out. Correct. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter whether, you know, Dr. So-and-so knows how to do it. How about just finding the guy down the hall who knows how to do it? But it's thinking that of, of ultrasound as your tool. Um, that sure sounds like that's shifting. And I, and I was, you know, always thinking that the first example that always came to mind for me, just when's the last time someone put a central line in blind, you know, if, versus using an ultrasound guidance? And that's, and that's clearly even a kind of low use of ultrasound compared to, you know, diagnostics, but, but it's dramatically shifted and changed how we perform, you know, central line placement. Or, or many therapeutic uh, procedures for that matter now. I mean, it's, um, right. you know, it, it, we see it in just about every facet that, that we do things, and we're finding newer and newer things to do with ultrasound simply because we're looking for a tool, you know. Right. So let me ask you guys then. So, um, I, I, okay, you, you know, I, I don't know anything about ultrasound, and my hospital doesn't have it, and I don't, you know, but, but you, you sold me. This sounds great. I want to go learn about it. How do I, how do I go about doing it? And my hospital's going to buy me one tomorrow. So, A, I need to learn, but B, just, you know, taking some courses, that's great, but does that mean I'm actually any good at this? How am I going to, you know, certify that I'm good at this? How's my hospital going to allow it? And then can I bill for it? So, in other words, this is a great tool, but it is a tool, so am I allowed to then uh, bill for the utilization of that tool? Tool. And then if I do, who am I creating fights with because somebody else already maybe owns an ultrasound machine in the hospital and they're going to be pissed off that I'm using it? So there's a lot of different questions, but you guys can answer that because you've, you've, you've been here through the evolution of ultrasound from this little niche device that, you know, you had to call somebody for to now, you know, you carry one in your pocket. Well, I'll give you, my, you know, my own personal uh, perspective because when I went to fellowship, there was no program in place. And people had sort of heard about ultrasound, but no one was really taking the initiative. Uh, and they said, you want a machine? We'll buy a machine and, you know, try to turn it into something. But, you know, so I took a couple courses. Um, I caught a couple videos. I tried to get people around me to watch. But ultimately, at the end of the day, in terms of the technical aspect of ultrasound, it always comes back. Sorry about that. It always comes back to practicing as a, oh, sorry, we'll just edit that out. That's somebody desperately needing an ultrasound. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, but, okay, so at the well, end I think of it the comes day, back it, it does come back to what I don't want to interrupt you, but it comes back to what Seth was saying that it's a it's a it's a tool, uh, you know. And if everything about your exam is pointing to a different direction, then you need to try to figure out where the discordance is. You know, is it just that you didn't have the right ultrasound image? You know, if if you're getting data that is you know on opposite ends of the of the spectrum. Well, that's that's where that's where the practice comes into play, and and having some feedback because you can do the ultrasounds over and over, but if you're not doing them properly, uh, you could be potentially gathering incorrect information. So, I suggest when people learn ultrasound, 
to look around and see who's there. Now, if you're in a place that has an academic emergency medicine program, you know, that's a good place to start because many times there are people who are very facile doing ultrasounds in the hospital, in the emergency department, and they can help give you feedback on how the results are going. We can also lean in with our cardiologists if we're doing cardiac studies or the radiologist or even just the sonographers, if you don't want to deal with some of the attendings. The sonographers are tremendously good at image acquisition and as well as uh, interpreting information. So you can use them locally as a resource. Now, in terms of credentialing within the hospital, there's a variety of different ways of doing this. You know, credentialing is always a local thing. So, um, you right. know, your hospital will determine what a sufficient amount is. Um, so that's a little bit trickier of a thing to say, but you know, once you are credentialed, um, become the local leader. Um, become the person right. who determines how everyone get creden gets credentialed in the hospital and do QA with people to make sure that more people are doing it correctly. And it just kind of spreads from there. And then certainly once there's a critical mass of people, you can consider taking a larger course. And certainly the chess course is a great course to take because it does have a certification pathway. No, but there are other courses that you can take to sort of have a local um, unified approach, or I should say a more, um, a more, um, uh, a more um, what do you call it, uh, a more kind of unified approach to how everyone's doing the scans together. So everyone's on the same page at the local institution. Well, you, you know, I agree with everything you're saying. I think there's a lot of people out there who don't want to embrace it, who come back always and say, well, how do I know this individual is competent? And how do I know uh, that they learned the right way to do things? I always bring it back to um, I, I don't know when the last time that my fellow or resident listened to wheezing with a stethoscope that I made sure that the patient actually was wheezing. So I think there are a lot of things that people aren't sure um, whether or not the physical exams and what they're doing is actually correct. So I think that you need to, to do exactly what you said, and that is you need some formal training in image acquisition. I did that without the help of, of courses because the courses hadn't been developed yet, and I think you in the emergency room are, are, are well ahead of us in regards to that. So I had to rely on, on very good uh, people that were, you know, in the cardiology department, the radiology department. I became sort of a, like, you know, like a, a little fellow in there. Um, right. and, and for the most part, most people can find people that don't have an opposition to you learning this stuff. And I think it's getting easier and easier because there's so much literature now that the individuals, the cardiologists now by me have all become to the other side. They enjoy what I do now because they realize that they, if you can't beat them, join them because there's just an over, there's so much data that says that, that people who are not trained in cardiology can do highly accurate goal-directed echo. And so I think that first you need image acquisition and image interpretation. And I think that, um, it, that if you can't do it locally, I think that the courses that are given certainly through ACCP and CHEST are a good stepping stone. But they're just that. I think you're right, Kyle. They're just a stepping stone. And then that brings up the whole idea of do you bill for it? Now, in the emergency room, I suppose, and but I'm not sure how much you bill for your procedures, but um, we hardly bill for our procedures in our ICU simply because we use it sort of as an extension of our physical exam, and we, we put that into billable time in our ICU, so the time spent with, uh, with the patient at bedside instead of trying to bill for every single thing that we do. But you can do that. 
There is no body that will tell you, no, no body, you know, the radiology department. There's, there's nothing in CMS that says that a non-radiologist cannot bill for ultrasound. You just simply have to be able to, if you get audited, to show that you did, the, you did a report and you saved some images someplace so that it, so it can be looked at down the line. Right. Proof and that you did I, it. Yeah, proof that you did it. Now, you also need to have some sort of qual- ongoing quality, and that becomes, you know, not so easy for people, and I think that it's just going to take time. And what's going to happen over the next couple of years, certainly in in pulmonary critical care, is that you're going to find more and more people that are simply trained at the local level because of the changes that are going on with the ACGME. And in 10 years from now, most of this will be a moot point because everybody's going to have to get trained uh, in this. But, but still right now, those people who or maybe not in an academic environment that has ultrasound, that's where this certificate of completion may come in handy for those who, who aren't in emergency medicine and who don't have too much in the way of mentoring at the local level because you get a pretty good exposure to what you need to do and you have firsthand somebody reading over the scans that you're doing and you have to take a hands-on examination where somebody is watching what you're doing. So it's probably the closest thing to being able to say that somebody is competent but as as Haney was saying, that is a local phenomenon. We just can certify that you did what we what we asked you to do. I, I mean, I recognize that everybody learns at different rates, but um, you know, and so and then you know, of course, that feeling confident and and getting a sense of competency and a certificate of completion and all that. Give me the time frame here. You know, if someone says, "Okay, you know what? This this is great. I'm going to invest this time. I want to get good at this." And and again, I understand there's a wide range. Somebody can pick this up. You know, some people pick it up. I'm sure relatively quickly. Some people are never going to. But but ballpark for me, what kind of a time investment is someone looking forward to to get good uh, enough to start doing ultrasound to then uh, you know have their local resources continue to work with them? You know, how many courses do I need to go to? Is a, I guess another way to put it. Well, I mean, I, think I understand it's a, it's a loaded question. Yeah. I understand it's a loaded no, question. I, but I think it also asks on, you know, you could take somebody and at the end of the day, they could learn how and probably put into use lung ultrasonography, probably one day. Goal-directed echo, a little bit longer, you know? So I think there's a, there's a, there's a range. I think that a three-day course gives you the tools to get started. So if somebody goes to a three-day course that's on general ultrasound and then spends a couple weeks doing it at the bedside, they will probably be good enough to answer the most important questions that are needed to be uh, answered in a timely fashion. That's predicated on the, uh, the idea that somebody is there making sure that what you're doing is correct. So I think the mentoring has a huge factor in this because the, the image acquisition does not take that long. To learn how to, to get an image doesn't take long. Yeah, I agree that the, the it's it's really a range of the it's really a range on what exams we're talking about. But if we're talking about a well-rounded you know ultrasound uh, focused clinician, I think you know up to three months if you're really practicing it every day. And I say that just because. Um, people correspond with me and send me clips um, after these courses are done. And first of all, you see the images improving over time, but by three months, they're already asking some high-end questions. So I'm making a generalization, of course. But I think um, if you're talking about things like lung ultrasound or vascular, very soon after they get back home, if they're applying it right off the bat, they can do it quickly. The more technical things, imaging, some of the more three-dimensional structures like the heart or the gallbladder or things like that take a little bit more time. 
but not much. And, and I say that because uh, many people get apprehensive about learning a new skill, and there's some very, very good clinicians out there that don't want to take ultrasound on for that fear of taking a step back into being a novice again. Um, so some very accomplished people who don't want to sort of be in that, you know, humbling role, if you will. But it doesn't take that long as long as you're committed to doing it. And so that's why I encourage people that even if you walk away from a course learning how to detect a pneumothorax, um, on ultrasound, which only takes, you know, an hour or two to master, uh, you're, you're a much better clinician today than you were yesterday. So, you know, I, I can't encourage this enough to just pick up this new skill, and it's going to enhance your clinical practice all around. Well, that's an excellent point that you made too about I didn't think about the the concept of you know okay I'm I'm you know a leader in my field and I'm you know blah 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 now I'm going to be basically the equivalent of the medical student and the intern all over again even if only for a couple of days and you know for a course but that is a you know that is a tough experience for a lot of us. It, it is, and you know I I even have there are people that come to the course and. I, I never really understand because they come to the course and all they're there to do is heckle and say, you know, ultrasound this and ultrasound that, and my boss just sent me, so I take ultrasound, but I don't really believe in it. But, you know, when you get them isolated and you talk to them, there is a little bit of apprehension into, you know, taking yourself back a step. But when you, when you reassure these people that everything is going to be okay, if they practice it, they all write back and they all say, you know, thank you so much. This really did improve my practice. And, you know, I'm almost about to retire but I still got my first tamponade. You know, I still detected that on ultrasound, and it was so easy. So, you know, thanks for keeping my mind open. And those are stories that really tell me that anyone can learn ultrasound at any point in their career. It's not a sort of a, you know, young person's game or, you know, you have to be part of the, uh, you know, video game type generation. Anyone can learn this, um, especially when you keep it simple and point of care. You know, it's true. Old dogs can learn new tricks. Uh, I think it's true, and 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 you know, veterans of the critical care wars who've been doing this for you know 30, 40 years. We had an experience of someone who's highly regarded, professor of medicine, head of the medical intensive care unit in a big hospital. Say, at first he was apprehensive for the reasons that you pointed out, but after he began do, and you know, for, the, for also saying, listen, I don't want to go back to being a student. You know, I'm highly regarded as a professor of medicine. How, you know how, but. What was interesting is that once um, this person began learning, I believe the the more seasoned you are, the, the more clinical background you've had, you use the ultrasound even more impressively because we, yeah. we what we're trying to say it's just a tool. If you if you don't understand physiology and don't understand disease processes. Having the ultrasound isn't going to help you. Same thing if you're deaf, a stethoscope isn't going to help you. So, it, it, the, you know, after this person took this course, and I've, I've had some feedback recently from him, it's amazing. You're taking an individual who has so much wealth of, of, of experience and now giving them just another tool. And, and I think that's what people need to realize, that regardless of whether, yes, it's painful, but you, these folks are actually in a great place because they're taking so much uh, experience that they have and now being able to use it in a new way, and they love it. I think that's an excellent point. Um, so, guys, we've been talking for a little bit, and I, don't, I want to be respectful of our listeners' times and of your – well, I actually don't want to be that respectful of your time, Seth. But, uh, but, <laughs> but, but um, Seth and Haney, let's, uh, is there anything we haven't talked about or, or sort of any kind of closing thoughts uh, for our listeners? 
Well, I mean, I don't know about you, Haney, but um, I think that when people start to, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, they will not go back. And I think that if you take somebody slowly and just give them uh, the knowledge that the, that these are not, we're not making this stuff up, that there is literature out there to support what we do, and that it helps patients, it's hard for people once you get past that original apprehension. People love it, and we love teaching it. Yeah. I mean, ultrasound for me is the sort of, it completes my practice. It makes me a better clinician. It makes me a better proceduralist. It makes me a better teacher and allows me to communicate more with the medical students and the residents. You know, sometimes it's hard to sort of find something interesting to talk about on rounds. For the medical student who's coming and observing, showing them the physiology just bridges that gap in their education, and it's like magic. It's good for the patients. I've seen patients' eyes brighten, even when they look at normal physiology, when they look at what's going on inside their body. And it brings that physician-patient contact back, which we're losing these days with all the tests and all the diagnostics that we're doing. It brings the clinician and the patient back together again. It brings your nurses closer to you. You teach your nurses how to do just peripheral IVs using ultrasound, and now you've got the nurses on board. I can't think of anything else that we do in medicine that equalizes the playing field for patients, clinicians, students, and nurses. It's really a magical tool, and, um, and you know, I keep learning more and more about bedside ultrasound um, for myself, and it's a personal growth for me. But I think even for people that haven't done it before, just learning some simple things are going to make you such a better clinician. And I totally agree with what Seth said. The people that have been out for a while that understand the physiology, they have the most to benefit from learning ultrasound, and, and they can really use it uh, to its fullest potential. I think what you said is so important. We, we, I always tell the resident fellows and whoever I'm teaching, you actually have to touch the patient. Go figure. You actually get close to the patient, and, and you're right. That interaction is so valuable, even if you just then get a chance to look into their eyes. You learn just from being there. So it's your guys' fault that MRSA is spreading everywhere in my ICU, then. Is that the problem? There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate your time. This was perfect, and uh, definitely for our listeners. Uh, where should they go, guys, to, to start to get more about the Ultrasound Corner uh, and as well as learning about the courses? Well, I think the the, um, the education part on the website for CHEST uh, has all of the upcoming uh, ultrasound courses. And Ultrasound Corner is part of the, the CHEST website for the journal. Every month they'll be, they'll be on there. Perfect. Thanks, guys, for your time. Thank well, you so much. Thanks for having me on. Uh,